The weekend can't start until we ask the preacher. What do you think of that? Oh, yes, that's the way it is. Ask the preacher. Your chance to have your Bible questions answered. And it's brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church in North Lakeland. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. John's out this afternoon, but sitting in is George Locke. Yippee, it is Friday. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher, you beautiful people out there in Radioland. It is great to be back in the studio. Uh, We were out last week, uh, but the week before it was a great show, and you can listen to that show and any previous uh, show at askthepreacher.com. That's askthepreacher.com. On the website, you can also find our call-in number. That's right. You, too, can be part of radio history and join in on our conversation. You can either ask a question that's on topic or off topic. You can provide commentary or just have a little chat with yours truly. And we will do our best to uh, answer your questions with Bible perspectives with sound doctrine. And that phone number to call in is 863-682-1430. So you can go to askthepreacher.com or you can call in today, 863-682-1430. Okay, so now that we got all that out of the way, we got that done. You know how to join in on the conversation. There is so much to talk about. Man, the world is moving a million miles a second, and it is just not slowing down. You had all kinds of things that have come out in the last two weeks, exciting things, things that make me go, oh, oh, this is getting good. Things are getting good. You had Neuralink. There, if you're not familiar with what Neuralink is, it's another endeavor from Elon Musk. He's getting ready to test implanting chips and computers into people's bodies. And they're now uh, beginning human testing on this. And it has the uh, potential promise of restoring sight to the blind and making people who uh, suffered from strokes connect the uh, neuro pathways in their brains and making it as if they never had a stroke. Uh, Among many other things, you know, instead of taking the AI that is on our Smartwatches are in our pockets on our smartphones. It's now going to be implanted inside of people, giving them all kinds of uh, potential to know everything at a uh, speed of thought or possibly even be controlled at the speed of thought. But uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that as the show goes on. You got all kinds of things in politics, uh, U.S. politics, global geopolitics. Uh, You have exciting things happening in Israel, which some people think are a sign of the end times. You have, for the first time in Israel in in almost uh, 2,500 years, you have perfect red heifers that were sent over to Israel, which are required for uh, ritualistic purity for the priests. So uh, you have the Temple Institute in Israel saying that they are ready to go and start performing uh, rituals within within uh, a, a moment's notice. And so all that's good to go. And it really makes me want to make sure that we, you and I, in this conversation, really tackle some important things because here's a statistic that should make you go, oh yeah, that's me. 10 out of 10 people die. Did you know that? 
Someday, you and I, we will die. And maybe it will be when we're old. My grandfather, great, tough old bird, one of my grandfathers, uh, is still alive and living in New York. And my other grandfather lived to 102 years old almost. He was 101 when he passed. And, uh, you know, some people, they, they pass away when they're just babies. But 10 out of 10 people will die. And when you do, when you step into eternity... That's when life really begins. And it's either going to be life with Jesus forever, or it's going to be a life without him, which is hell and misery. And so we're going to talk about probably most important thing that any human being can talk about. What is salvation? I mean, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And if you're listening and you're getting ready to turn the dial and you say, oh, I know what it means to be a Christian. I want to challenge you with something. Did you know that there is a group of entities that believe Jesus is God. They know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, and they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he rose from the grave and he is the only way to God the Father. And do you know what that group of entity is called? They're called Satan and his demons. So most people would say, wow, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, I, you know, yeah, he died for me and all that. And you think that's enough to be saved, but here's the reality. The Bible warns us that even the devils believe that there's one God. And they know, they were eyewitnesses to it, that Jesus lived a perfect life. Satan tried to tempt him. We see that in Luke, uh, where Satan brings him to the highest peak of the earth and brings him to the temple and tries to tempt Jesus, but couldn't get Jesus to, to fall to temptation. So they know Jesus lived a perfect life. They know Jesus died on the cross. And we're going to talk about why that specifically. Why a cross? Why not drowning? Why not being stabbed? Why not being burned? Why not being strangled? Why did it have to be a cross specifically? We're going to talk about that. But the devil knows all these things. And here's what's crazy. The devil even knows that Jesus is Lord. So if you believe all those things and you think that's good enough to get into heaven... What makes you any different than the devil? Hmm. So we're going to leave that as a little titillating uh, reason to come back with the next segment. And we're going to talk a, a, a lot in detail. One, one of the things I want to tackle is why is salvation needed? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross specifically? How can his righteousness, how does his death on the cross count towards us? How is that even possible and then finally, what specifically do I need to do or believe to be saved? You are listening to Ask the Preacher. The phone number to call in is 863-682-1430. Join us in the conversation as we dive deep into the most important question you will ever need to answer. What is salvation and how does it apply to me? We'll see you in just a little, a little bit after this break. Well, now, let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. John Freed, your regular host, is out, but sitting in is George Locke. Welcome back from the break, you beautiful people out there in Radioland. It is great to be here in studio. Hey, before we continue in our conversation answering the most important question that you will ever have to answer for yourself... I want to take a quick segment. If you guys don't know who I am, we've talked about this on previous episodes. I run a brand strategy design consultancy, which is a big fancy way of saying that I help businesses 
gain competitive advantages and grow. And what we do, what I've been called to do, is take the biblical principles that the world has been using to build trillions of dollars worth of, of wealth. I take those principles that are actually found in the Bible and I teach you how to grow your business so that you can fulfill my favorite verse in the Bible, which is Proverbs 13, 22, which says a righteous man of the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous and a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. So if you own a business, if you are uh, getting ready to start a business or if you work in a business. So basically, if you're not unemployed and you have no ambitions, you need to go to Polk techsolutions.com slash radio. Uh, we put that page up each time that I'm on the radio and it's a free gift. It is a core mini workbook, our core strategy. We charge lots of money typically to uh, help coach people and, and teach them how to grow their business. We're giving you a core mini workbook for free. All you got to do is go to polktechsolutions.com. You cannot pay for it. We don't want your money for this. We want to be faithful to what God has called us to do. So enough about that. Let's get into answering the most important question. If the devil believes, no, no, that's not the right word. If the devil was an eyewitness and knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life without violating God's law, that Jesus died on the cross, physically dead, done was in the ground for three days and then rose again. He is the Messiah. He even knows that someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What makes us any different than the devil? How can we be saved? Isn't it enough just to know that kind of stuff? Today we're going to read a ton of Bible verses because this is Ask the Preacher. But a preacher is only as good as they know the Bible. My ideas, my thoughts, my traditions are no good. Uh, we need to go to the infallible source, which is God's Word. Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word is God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so that Word is what we're going to tackle. And the Word of God says that there is a knowledge so important that we will perish if we don't know it. And that word perish doesn't mean just die. It means you will be utterly destroyed. And it's from Hosea 4, 6. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest for me. And that is from Hosea 4, 6. And so Jesus goes on and he reiterates this idea. Jesus said that there's a truth so powerful that if we know it, we will be set free. And that's from John 8, 32, where Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Going on, the New Testament states that there's a knowledge about God so important that if we know it, we will have everything that we need to live a godly life. You won't need uh, to jump through extra hoops. The, this knowledge comes from 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4, and it says, Grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, uh, which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these 
you may be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's a really, that's 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. You, you got to go back, re-listen to this on askthepreacher.com. Look up the verses yourself. Don't take my word for it. I will tell you when it's a thus thinketh George moment, and I will tell you when it's thus saith the Lord moment. And so 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4. So we need to know these facts, these things above all the other things uh, that we need to be able to, to share them with others, first of all. And these facts are truths about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, which uh, when we know these truths, it unlocks the power of God to all who will learn and believe them. And that's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news about Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. So what is this truth? How do we become saved? So we talked about, you know, there's there's some things that the devil and the demons and and other people who never trusted Jesus, they were eyewitness to. They knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what is it that we can, can know? And, and let me say it this way. We can thank God that, that we're not saved by our heads. If it was just head knowledge, we would be in trouble. But we're not saved by our heads. Uh, according to just what we know, we're saved by our hearts, that inward man as the Bible calls it. And when we repent and believe the good news about Jesus and what that good news is. So there are some following facts that are vitally important. First of all, you have to know that Jesus is Yahweh. He is God. Yes, he was man, but he's also God. His nature is important. And we've gone over this before. I've given this analogy where I'm thinking of an actor and, and I want you to participate with me right now. Uh, I'm thinking of an actor. His name is Tom. He's a white guy with brown hair. He's got a good smile. He's in lots of uh, movies. Everybody likes him. Seems to be a really nice guy. Uh, I'm, of course, thinking of Tom. Some people would say Tom Hanks. Some people would say Tom Cruise. Some people would say Tom Selleck, Tom Hardy, Tom Hiddleston. There's many people who can fit that description, but they're all different people. So if your Jesus sounds pretty similar to the Jesus of the Bible— but he is not part of the divine trinity, the divine godhood. He is not Yahweh made flesh. He is a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. Then you're believing a different Jesus that's described in the Bible. It's important to believe in the correct Jesus, to believe in the right person. Otherwise, you're going to be believing a character who has a lot of similar characteristics, but is not the Jesus of the Bible. So you, you got to find out who it is that you're trusting. But we have to know that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand by which you are also saved. If you hold fast to that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so it's important for us to believe these facts. And then uh, Mark 1.15 goes on and says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So we're going to dive deeper into these facts. 
what it is about these facts that, that are important. And Jesus says in, in John 3, 3, he was talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus was saying, well, what do I have to do to, to be saved? And Jesus says in John 3, 3, uh, that uh, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This experience is a heart change. Being born again is described to us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things are passed away and everything has become new. So important fact number one, as we discover the answer to this most important question, is that at the moment we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life, we experience a new birth and God will put in us a new nature. And again, that new nature is described previously in 2 Peter, where we're able to take part of that divine nature. So uh, we, we receive this new nature through the Holy Spirit, which now lives inside of us. Again, that's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 goes on and it says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is inside of you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Here's the analogy I like to give to people. Because some people say salvation's a one-time deal. I say a prayer and that's it. I'm good to go forever. And other people say, no, 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 salvation is a process. And you, you don't get saved until you finally die and you got to hope you did a, a good enough job and you, you followed through with all the right things. It's... Neither one of those, and it's one of those at the same time. Let me explain to you very simply through an analogy. And Jesus spoke in parables all the time, and it's a great way for us to learn because part of what I do as a profession is teach people how to express through story. Story is vitally important for not only growing your business and your brand, but it's how God communicates to us. And he's constantly giving us stories via examples. So I am married to the most wonderful woman in the whole world. And when we got married, the moment we became one was at the marriage. When I said publicly, I confessed with my mouth, this is my bride. This is the one. We are becoming one flesh. We are now husband and wife. At that moment, through no, quote, work of my own, end quote, I became a husband. It was a one-time event. But follow the story here. If the next day I chose to walk out on my wife, the next day I said, you know what? We're still married. It's good. I'm still her husband. But now I'm going to be abusive or I'm just going to leave her. I'm going to go cheat on her with other women. Well, I wouldn't remain married very long. And even though there might be long suffering on her part and there might be a uh, forgiveness that she's willing to extend. At some point, I can choose, despite the paperwork, to no longer be in marriage with her and in relationship. And Jesus gives us the same example throughout the, uh, the apostles also throughout the, the scriptures tell us that we're the bride of Christ and we're married unto him and he's the bridegroom. And he gives this example for, for that exact reason, I think. It's a good, real, tangible example that we can experience. You enter into the marriage through a choice. You remain married 
through your action and relationship. We're going to continue talking about how do we answer the most important question you're ever going to face because 10 out of 10 people die, and not just after you die, but right now on earth. We want to show you how to have true life. Join us. You're listening to Ask the Preacher, phone number 863-682-1430. We're going to dive even deeper and find out why Jesus had to die on a cross specifically when we come back from the break. See you in just a few moments. Now let's get back to the second half of Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church in North Lakeland on North Socrum Loop Road. John Freed, your regular host. He's out, but sitting in is George Locke. Welcome back from the break. That was a long break, man. It just eats into the time. I got so much to say, so much I want to talk to you guys about. But we are back, and you are beautiful. So let's continue the conversation. But we got a phone call from Janet, uh, who... Wants to ask a question, because this is Ask the Preacher. So welcome to the program. I'm going to do my best to answer your question. And what is it that you want to know? I hope Eric gave you a tip about what it was, because uh, it's been bothering me ever since uh, my daughter went to Europe a few weeks ago and was in one of those old churches in France, and there was a crucifix. And she took a picture of it. She was so horrified, wanted me to see it. It was a crucifix with a skull and crossbones at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Why wh- Why would somebody do that? What? what? Sure. Well, um, so th- this crucifix had a skull and crossbones underneath it, and, um, you know, without knowing the, the church specifically or the original person who put it there, it's hard to say what their um, intentions were behind that. Oh, but I beautiful, can, with beautiful stained glass windows and pictures of Jesus. And, yeah. Well, well, I can maybe help give some illumination from what we actually see in Scripture. So again, the the uh, that specific skull and crossbones, I, I can't speak to it, but I know that that's a fairly common image in uh, Orthodox churches, in uh, many Eastern churches, and uh, the reason for it is is twofold. And of course, everybody has their their input and tradition on it. Most people show that it's a victory over death, and and he's conquered death. Um, but we know from Scripture that Jesus was actually crucified on a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And so as disturbing as that might sound, it is a specific place with a specific skull. And some people say, well, yeah, it's just because the hill maybe looks like a skull, but that's not really what it is. And, you know, this we can make this a whole Ask the Preacher show in and of itself, but the short of it, and I'm going to try not to offend your sensibilities, all you beautiful people out there in Radioland, but we see this interesting event that happens all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, the benign Elohim, a term that is almost always used to refer to angels, the benign Elohim, the sons of God took for themselves the daughters of men and made wives, and their offspring were called Nephilim. They were angel-human hybrids. And Some of you go, oh, that's crazy. We can talk about that all you want, but that's just a factual reality of the Scripture to anybody who lets the Scripture be itself. And then you have this event where God seems to be, as many atheists like Richard Dawkins would say, he's a, a genocidal, homicidal maniac who wants to kill men, women, and children. And the answer for that is, one... God can do what he wants, he's just. But two, there is a line of giants, Og, king of Bashan, David's mighty men, 
would go through and kill these giants who were genetically offsprings. They were Nephilim. They were Raphaim. There is, in the history of the Bible, this genetic problem of angel-human hybrids. And one of the things that David did with Goliath, who was one of these giants, is he cut his head off, marched it around the city for three days, and then buried it at Golgotha. And part of Jesus' ministry was not only to redeem humanity spiritually, but he came through the genetic line of Adam and Eve, and, and he was conquering this attempt by the devil to destroy humanity. And this attempt to destroy humanity's genetics is not new. It happened back in Genesis. It happened throughout the Old Testament with all of the ites, Canaanites, all the ites, Amorites. And it's going to happen again, in my opinion, with the mark of the beast. Because if you are not a human, your genetics are not humanities. A human being's death on the cross, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, cannot cover your sins. So if Satan can't get you to denounce Christ spiritually, he's going to make you unredeemable physically. And so a lot of that iconography of the skull comes from Golgotha. It's the place of the skull where Jesus was not only lauding in victory his, uh, his, his conquering of the spiritual, but it's his conquering of the physical as well. So that's where we, we kind of get this imagery of, of the skull. It's his, his conquering of the spiritual and over this genetic intrusion, if you will, found well, in Genesis chapter amazing. 6. Does you're that make sense? You're, oh, you're absolutely amazing, yes. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's not me. That's the Bible. That's just what the Bible teaches. Yeah. But I will, take, I will take that and say glory to God. So I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for joining in on the well, conversation. I, I hope that helps. Thank you, George. Thank you for uh, Am I gone? No, you're still here. You're well, still here. Thank you for addressing the uh, red heifers. I've been talking about it so excited, and people look at me like I need a tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... But that is real exciting news. Thank you for addressing it, because people need to know about it. Right on, right on. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for joining. So we're going to continue. We were talking about Jesus just now and his victory over uh, both spiritual and the physical because of the cross. And most people don't understand why Jesus had to die on a cross specifically. Why couldn't Jesus just be dying of old age? Why couldn't he just be, you know, they tried to throw him off a cliff once and he walked through the crowd. He had to die on a cross exactly the way he did it for a couple of different reasons. One, it was to redeem Adam from the curse. The Bible tells us that curse is every man who hangs on a tree. And so when Jesus was hanging on a tree, the cross, he was redeeming us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law doesn't mean the law itself is a bad thing. It means if you violate the law, there are consequences. Just like when my children violate the house rules, the house laws, there's consequences for their bad choices. Well, the three consequences for us violating God's law, which is our own choosing, is that we're going to spiritually die, we're going to physically die, and we're going to, uh, we're going to have sickness and, and all these fallen things, and we're going to be uh, impoverished. And, and Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. But when he was dying on the cross, he was actually doing something really specific. He wasn't just randomly uh, choosing to die on the cross. He was fulfilling the law of divorce. In Matthew 19, Jesus is, tr 
is, is talking to the Pharisees, and they're trying to trick them about divorce. And Jesus goes on to talk about divorce, and he mentions some things. We, we just don't have time to read it all, so you're going to have to read it yourself. But Jesus goes on, and he says, look, Moses said you can divorce your wife if she's unfaithful, right? But if you do that, and, and the husband isn't dead, you're committing adultery. So the husband has to die. So Jesus is really addressing a heart issue here, and we see this law given to Moses, a direct dictate from God's mouth to Moses to write on a tablet. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through verse 4, he talks about it. And then in Numbers 5, specifically verse 15, it's also the law about a woman who's unfaithful. And when you read those law passages, you can see that when a woman is unfaithful, she has to drink bitter herbs. And if she's found guilty of her unfaithfulness, her stomach will swell and she will be put to death for her, idol uh, for her uh, adultery, for her infidelity to her husband. And what's unique about Jesus is he was not only a physical human being who was genetically a representative of Israel because Jesus was actually the high priest. And again, we can talk about that, but John the Baptist was the high priest and, and uh, he was baptized by John and Jesus was acting as the priest, which is a representative of all of Israel. So he was representing Israel as the unfaithful woman who followed to the letter, the law of divorce. But Jesus is also God who is the husband who, according to scripture, married Israel at Mount Sinai. So being both the husband and the wife, he had to find a way to legally put to death the wife who was adulterous, put to, put to death the husband so that he, God, could remarry us under a new covenant, a new priesthood, without violating his own law. So Jesus did just that. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price for an adulterous woman. He drank the bitter herbs. He hung on the cross to redeem us from the curse. He was a representative of the woman. He was a representative of the husband, legally fulfilled the requirements of divorce. And now you and I can be married to him. Just before the break, I gave the analogy of how we enter into that marriage. It is a heart condition. We are born again by believing in our heart and we remain in the marriage through our obedience and so factor number two in all this is at the moment that we're born again, we die to our sin nature. Just like when I'm entering into this marriage with my wife, the things that I used to be, I'm no longer. I'm one with her. We become one flesh. And Romans 6 tells us just that. Romans 6, 1 and 2, it says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin or breaking God's law? so that grace could abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to the sin nature, as Young's literal translation says, how should we who died to the sin nature any longer live in it? When we receive in our hearts the reality that Jesus took our sin nature, killed it, and we can now be one with him and receive his divine nature, again, that's First Peter, uh, we change. And we're going to finish up in the next segment talking about the third most important fact on this and how do we actually live our lives going forward. You are listening to Ask the Preacher. Phone number to call in 863-682-1430. We will see you in just a few moments after the break. But now let's get back to the fourth and final segment of this afternoon's Ask the Preacher program brought to you by Believer's Fellowship 
Here's George. Welcome back from the break, you beautiful people. Man, there's just so much I want to say. But one thing I want to say right now is, Eric, thank you for doing a great job, as you always do, pushing buttons. Well, thank you. I push buttons with the best. <laughs> and I point at people, too. Fair enough. Um, so I got just a couple minutes, but you can call in and have your questions answered or join in on the conversation, 863-682-1430. You can also go to askthepreacher.com. But we're continuing our conversation here, uh, trying to answer the most important question. What do I really have to do to be saved? If the devil believes that Jesus is God and Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus died on the cross and Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus forgives sins and Jesus is God and he's going to be the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The devil knows all of that. He's not an idiot. So what makes us different? And we were talking about it. And if you didn't catch the first three segments, please re-listen to this program. Go to askthepreacher.com. Find today's episode, listen to it, but we're going to continue here and we're talking about sin and how, just like in marriage, when I become one with my wife and I enter this covenant through a confession in front of everybody, the relationship now begins and has to continue and requires me to give up everything that I was. You know, as a husband, the Bible says that I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her. If I am not pouring all of me, if I am not giving up all of me for the best interests of my wife, I'm doing being a husband wrong. So how do we actually do this? How do we give up our lives? Here's something really important. The, the, the moment that we are born again, right, the Bible says that we're dead to sin. It says that it's it's gone. But remember, the only way that you can get victory over this sin nature that lives inside of, of us is to die to it by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons we get baptized. It's a public dec declaration that we've been crucified with Christ, buried with him. We no longer live, but Christ Jesus now lives in us. Uh, Galatians 5.24 says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. Uh, Romans 6, 6 and 7 from the Amplified Version of the Bible. I, I love this. It says, we know that our old, our unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be slaves of sin. And again, sin isn't just bad choices. It's violating God's law. Verse 7, for when a man dies, he is freed. He is loosed. He is delivered from the power of sin among men. We can die to sin daily because we don't have to try to get the victory over sin because Jesus has already won the victory for us. His death on the cross fully paid for sin's debt. That's why he fulfilled the law. And we talked about that in the previous segment. Uh, his death paid for the debt and nothing else can take its place. Anything else you try to do to gain righteousness is a false religion. It is your attempt to try to be good enough to get to God. And the Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And it's a bit more graphic than that, but I'm going to be family friendly. 
We have no righteousness apart from God. And so Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12 goes on and says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. 1 John 5.4 says, for whatever is born of God comes, uh, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So going back to this analogy, I enter into marriage with my wife. I am born again by believing not in my head because the devil believes it in his head. He knows it. He was an eyewitness to these things. But we now believe it in our hearts that, look, I'm entering into this relationship with Jesus through confession of my mouth, through the repentance. That means the turning away of violating God's law or sin, right? The Bible makes it clear. Sin is violation of God's law. It's not just bad choices. You can make a bad choice that doesn't violate God's law. You can make dumb choices. Going into credit card debt, it's a dumb choice. Not necessarily a violation of God's law, necessarily. We can talk about that more. But anyway, uh, we enter into the relationship through confession in our heart. We continue in the marriage by daily picking up our cross, daily crucifying the sin nature by trusting in his victory by trusting in what he has done. You cannot gain the victory by being good enough. Can't happen. Impossible. But you can believe that you're crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live, but Christ now lives in you. And here's one other topic I want to tackle with just a few minutes. What does all this mean? Does it mean I can live however I want? No. It doesn't. I can't say that I'm married to my wife and I can't legally start that relationship with my wife and then just live however I want. This is going to offend some people's sensibilities. It's going to offend your Christian upbringing. But here's the reality. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the hearts of men. We are to walk according to how he walked. 1 John 4.17 says, as he is, so are we. Revelation 12, 17, Revelation 14, 12 says that this is the patience of the saints. Those who keep the testimony of Jesus Christ, that's a confession with our mouth, and the commandments of Yahweh, the commandments of the Father. That's who endures. 1 John 5, 3 backs it up. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. 1 John 2, 3 through 5 backs it all up. And so here is the answer to the most important question you're ever going to have to answer. What separates you from the devils who know all of those things about Jesus? It is, who are you trusting for righteousness? Is it you? Or are you trusting that you received his nature through his work on the cross? You've been listening to Ask the Preacher. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We will see you next week. Submit questions to askthepreacher.com and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you to help you daily stand in the faith and the victory of Jesus Christ.